This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And we are coming to you, not live, but recorded and direct from our own homes, because we decided we were going to be forthright and candid, even though we want this episode to live forever on the interwebs, we are going to be direct and tell you that we are recording it during a time of widespread pandemic. <laughs> And we are honoring the state of California's shelter-at-home orders, which means we have not wandered over to our lovely little recording studio here in our neighborhood, and we are Which is really about as far further. as we go anyway, so... <laughs> I was going to say, is your life that changed? Been, your daily schedule, is it that changed with the virus? Hasn't been that big a difference for the likes of us, but it has made a really big difference in the world, and so we wanted to keep doing the podcast, but... Um, we didn't. We also wanted to be in compliance with the spirit of the law. Um, it's not really a law. They've just asked us to, and I, but it seems to be helping. And so, anything we can do to help that you know doesn't involve leaving the house, we're always happy to do. <laughs> Absolutely, I, that's the joke that I've been making as a writer or someone who is blessed to work from home because I, I think. It is a blessing to be able to work from home for the most part. When you're forced to do it by circumstances like these, it's not everybody's favorite thing by far, particularly if you have children. Those are the people who I think are being really challenged right now are the families. But anyway, we, um, we're we always joking that, that we do this all the time. And so we may devote a future episode to sharing some tips about how to work from home in general, whether or not yeah, we're like in place order we can't or not. really help in this pandemic because we don't we're not doctors and we don't really know anything about it. But we actually are experts on working from home, so maybe yeah, we should talk about that. That's a great idea, but, Christopher. Yeah, right. I just thought, I wonder where I got that idea from. Probably maybe for me at the production meeting. Uh, absolutely, but um, I we are also committed to not talking about the coronavirus even though we are recording these episodes during this time we want these episodes to live forever so we're sort of doing our regular thing and we hope that they can also serve as entertainment and distraction for those of you who are listening to them as they post and so boy, we do ha- we have stuff to talk about oh my god we're oh back with an- my god we are back with another installment of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club, and this is their first time doing this particular show. And let me just give you all the introductions and disclaimers up front, because this is the part that Eric likes me to do, because oh, I'm God, so because OCD I don't do and task-oriented. If you want to stop this podcast and go and listen to the episode that we're about to talk about, you are, of course, welcome to do that now. The episode is why it's season three, episode seven of Wives with Knives. The episode title is Mama's Little Princess. Um, that said, our <laughs> How job. Can we resist? 
on right our job on true crime tv club is to break down the episode and serve it up for you so that you could ostensibly have a conversation with your friends about it without ever having had to actually watch it now i guess the the idea of this is that you like hearing us talk about it more than you would actually sitting down and watching the show and i have to say in the the instance of this particular episode you may well i I don't want (laughs) to make too many assumptions But um, the reason I was excited about doing this show for the first time is because when you, Eric, were trying to explain, or when we were both trying to explain, at least to our friends, what Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club was going to be about, I would always say, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to watch sophisticated true crime documentaries, you know, like The Staircase and all these sort of things and break them down for you. And Eric would be like, or we'll do Wives with Knives. Right. You know? And so today we are doing Wives with Knives for the first time here. So it's kind of, it's what we've been shooting for since I first pitched this idea uh, last (laughs) fall, I think. Yeah. So, uh, well, let me, let me ask you now, Eric Sharquin, now that we've done it, uh, was it everything you dreamed it would be? We'll get into the episode in a minute, but. (laughs) I think that, I, I, I have to say, I think that the, the outstanding feature of this episode from all of the, uh, the True Crime TV Club uh, offerings that we've had so far, this is the one case where um, the actress in the reencrapment, or however we call that, is actually that. Yeah. is actually less attractive than the original person being depicted. Uh, usually, because they hire actors to do the the reenactments, the reencrapments, they're um, they're actors and so they're nice looking people and they, you know, usually look better than the people. And you think, wow, they were, they ought to be flattered that this is who they got to not this case, not an ugly woman, but a hard looking woman. She looked, she looked hard. She, and, and you know, the, the original is not um, anything to write home about. She looked a little, um, you know, uh, I, she, she, there was some uh, road, uh, some mileage on that one. Yeah, let's go with that. There, there, it's a it's a hard little story, but it's not much of a story, which no. I thought was disappointing for me. Like when <laughs> we don't do a lot of investigation before we pick these episodes, we no. basically go on to the website of the whatever streaming platforms we subscribe to, and we look by titles and topics and whatever. And so when we saw that it was called Mama's Little Princess, we, I thought it was going to be about some devious murder plot hatched and by who a young resist woman. That t- title all right and and she'd be on the threshold of losing her millions and want to kill her husband or something like that that is so not the story that was told in this hour of this terrible life choices trailer park escapees i am telling you and having lived in a trailer park i feel like it's okay for me to say that (laughs) these i i know who lives there and this is them these are the (laughs) these are Right, these are the denizens of my tr- uh, bus stop days back in the uh, back at when I lived at Shady Acres Trailer Park. Yeah, that uh-huh. it, was, it was um it was an interesting and um uh yes, a uh, eclectic group of people. It was really and I was I was um not necessarily enjoying myself as I watched, so I kept stopping it to check the time to see how long we had gone without there being a wife or a knife. 
And I would be like, 17 minutes, no wife, no knife. Uh, 25 minutes, no wife, no knife. <laughs> Eventually, we got there, and, and we'll, we'll walk you through. I guess we should walk people through the story because there's there's really not much of it. So we can get that part we'll over We'll get that with. out of the way, and then you won't be confused as we talk shit about the people who are in this because there's a lot to be said. There I just got to say. Although, I will say that you, as you pointed out, Christopher, for reenchantments, oh, this yeah. one was. You're usually the huge critic of the reencrapments. Oh, I think that they are the cancer of true crime television. I think, and they I are think they're the Bernays. I think they yeah. are. <laughs> I think they just make it worth the watch. It's like, oh my god, this is the worst reencrapment I've ever seen. And Christopher dies, and I uh, shot with glee, which is why you picked sophisticated crime documentaries, and I suggested Wives with Knives, and here we are. And here we are. But that said, ironically, some of the best actors in any reenactments that I've ever seen, certainly the best we've ever talked about here at TDPS. So um, the young woman who plays young Nicole Taylor, who is in essence the star of our show, is actually a really great actress who does a great job of playing a young budding cocaine addict, you know, and, uh, you know, and there are some other really startlingly fine and well-directed performances throughout. It doesn't feel like you're watching, um, you know, actors from a porn film in 1980 who aren't allowed to have sex you know that's how most reenactments feel um so and part of what i think may have made their performances seem better was how unconvincing the real people were i will get this is we'll come back to that but i did not find anyone who was on camera who wasn't a reencrapment performer to be convincing i didn't believe pretty much anybody who said anything this is really, uh, uh, you know, and I don't want to get too far ahead of us. We'll start the walkthrough in a we minute. We keep but saying that. <laughs> it's, but it's, we want to like justify our choices in picking this out. This is really just an analysis of a, d- a domestic violence incident where we typically cover murder mysteries and true crime stories that, that have more levels than this. So uh, all of that said, um, we'll walk you through the specifics of the story. All right. Nicole Taylor, she is really the focus of this episode of Wives with Knives. She is the little princess. Mama's little princess, indeed. She grows up in an upper-middle-class neighborhood in Phoenix, Arizona. She's the daughter of a police officer and a hairdresser. They have a perfectly nice life, but when she's very young, her parents come into a large inheritance, which I I don't think they ever say where the inheritance came from. Did you pick up on something I missed? Yeah, I don't know where the money came from or even whose it was. I... I had the impression from the way the story unfolded that it must have been mom who inherited the money and not dad. Mm. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. Because she seemed to have a source of power that I wasn't clear on, but, but I don't know that. I I that was just my assumption. They, they were not clear on that. And it also didn't seem like they were, you know, to the manner born. It was one of those things where I was like, Hmm, is this true? Like, it was where I started doubting the story as it was being told to me. I mean, I guess so, but like, she didn't seem like somebody who had been, had a silver spoon up her ass. You know what I mean? Like, no, she, really... she didn't. She seemed like a kind of, kind of hard sort of yeah. woman who did. But by the time we're meeting her, and we're actually, 
Nicole yeah. is being interviewed. A lot of she's road, being, a lot of mileage. By the she's time she's telling us her story, and she is she is on camera, sort of, and she's being augmented by the scripted narration and voiceover, which is being narrated by a woman, I believe, Eric, you described. Oh, her I as thought sort she of... was yelling at me. I thought she was mad at me about something. <laughs> like that woman, just she was hollering. I, I just, I yeah. was like, okay, all right, fine. Yeah, it was not a nuanced performance. Um, it was clearly somebody uh, uh, who was trying to uh, uh, to to keep their their um, their SAG membership current. Right. So her mother, uh, Nicole's mother, spoils her rotten, presumably using this inheritance. She gets pretty much everything she wanted. She says her Christmases were amazing. We see reenactments of presents on tables. Uh, her father is not interested in this indulgent behavior, and he is not interviewed, so he's not there to tell his side of the story. No. Um, but Nicole says he's basically a jerk, and he was abusive and mean to her mother. Abusive in a verbal sense. There's no allegation that there was any other, other physical violence between the father and the mother. But was a reenactment shows the mother doing Nicole's homework for her at the kitchen table and the father coming in and snapping at them because he's very impatient about something. And Why isn't you know, dinner on the table? Um, yeah. I, I will also point out that the only evidence that we have for this is Nicole telling her story. Yes. So the, he um, could have been the sweetest man in the world, but we don't know that. And she has a, an axe to grind with him, clearly. And so... That may just be a lie, but, you know, who knows? Because yeah. this was so poorly put together, you have no way of knowing that. Out of nowhere, Nicole has been interviewed on camera. We haven't seen the interview. The camera reverses, and we see a sort of, I would call her semi-radiant woman uh, with tumbling blonde hair and intense makeup and huge blue eyes asking Nicole a question. Was your mother a helicopter parent? And this is how we are introduced to Dr. Casey Jordan, who is described as a criminal behavior analyst. One of those titles that we see a lot of Didn't on the Casey shows Jordan where... used to work for Falcon Films? <laughs> <Yes>. Like... <laughs> I think there have probably been several Casey Jordans in the world of gay yeah. porn over the years. Yeah, I don't think she looks like the, that guy from uh, Perfect Summer, but but it's the same name. I'm I'm convinced of it. I'm Christopher Rice, and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com/the Dinner Party Show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. So Dr. Casey Jordan is clearly going to be our voice of reason during this long trip down Ish. Nicole Taylor's terrible life choices. Well, I like to say she talks entirely in memes. Yes. I would say. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> It has that sort of, yeah, half-baked uh, half kind of philosophy uh, sort of runs throughout as as the, the, the subtext of this completely, uh, I think, fictitious and self-serving story. 
Yes, all of which is coming from Nicole about Nicole. So her mother well, spoils her rotten. There's also one other narrator, but I think he's lying too. So go ahead. Yeah, and we'll get to him. But um, so Nicole is being spoiled rotten by her mother, and this results in her blowing off school. And it's around this time that she is introduced to who she describes, also I would say I take this with some skepticism, as the most popular boy in school. And we know this because his reenactor is introduced leaning against a chain link fence and exhaling cigarette smoke through his nostrils. And he is identified as Peter. And there is an instant connection between Nicole and Peter, which is how they soon end up together in Peter's house snorting cocaine. And this is let's pause there and suggest that maybe the fact that he had and sold cocaine was the thing that made Peter the most popular kid in school. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there as one possibility. And maybe it accounts for their immediate connection. I'm just going to say, talk about chemistry. (laughs) <laughs> that's totally but the voiceover and Nicole and the voiceover is going to come out of Nicole's version because she's their primary interview subject we talk about this all the time on these yeah. shows they have to go with the story from the people that they got access that to she's okay. telling yeah and she's like I became a victim of how cool Peter was you know which is like okay so he shoved the cocaine up your nose like you 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 did the drugs because you wanted to do and the had drugs sex and with him them. yeah and, and I will also say, she said, for the first time and not the last time, he was the great love of my life. Yes, absolutely. And um, they, uh, this is when Dr. Casey Jordan jumps in with something she describes as the slingshot effect, which sounds which like I something thought, she made up the day meme. before the recording. Yes. yes. She says, Bullshit. the more... The more Nicole's parents try to get her to be a good girl, the more they pull her in the other direction. She slingshots in the direction of being a bad girl. That's called the slingshot effect. And I'm like, or it's called being a teenager and a drug addict. Because um, personal behavior is uh, 98% elastic and part spandex. Yeah. Like, right. what are you doing? <laughs> the further you pull them in one direction, it catapults them into another that yeah that is one of the most half-baked uh, full, uh psychological assessments i believe i've i've ever heard yes and i i would also say um this is the and moment i watched where theo the, james police show <laughs> this is the moment where um the uh this is the moment where the father is no longer being covered and Nicole's story is taking over. So all we've heard is that the father's really a disciplinarian and he's really bad. But we know that right around this time, Nicole became a hardcore drug addict who was not only skipping school to do drugs. She was, you know, running off with her boyfriend. They were beating each other up. The father's response to any of this is not documented or included because, again, he's not interviewed. So I just want to put that out there before we move on. Yeah. And it also went on for three years. Yes, absolutely. It was not like some incident. It was an ongoing and sustained uh, relationship between the three of them that concluded with her discovering a pair of leopard panties in his tied up in his tangled up in his bedclothes that weren't hers. And he says the classic response. They were my sisters. Right. Because that makes it better that her panties were in the bed. (laughs) Like what are your sister's panties doing in your apartment? I'm telling (laughs) you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they have a horrible fight, which escalates into physical violence. Um, Nicole is pretty upfront about the fact that she starts it physically. She's hitting him. He hits her back. He hits her way harder. 
the reenactment's actually pretty disturbing because he grabs again, her by the, the back of the head good. and smashes her face into the hood of her car. Yeah, it's really she actually hideous. winds up in the hospital again. All of this is according to Nicole. Absolutely. And in the hospital, she discovers that she is pregnant. She's 18 years old at this point. So the do- in the reenactment, the doctors ask her parents to leave the room so that they can notify her that she's pregnant. Um, Peter allegedly shows up at the hospital all guilty and apologetic. And then again, in reenactment, she says to him, I'm pregnant. And his response is, it's not mine. Which is one of those things of like, can a, can a man smell when it's not his baby that's growing inside the woman he's been sleeping with? Like We're going to have Maury Povich stuff. come on the show and, and right. answer that question for us. Like, how do you know it's not yours? Anyway. Um, and how do you know he said that? Well, we don't. It's just Nicole's story. Exactly. So she Nicole decides to try to stay clean and sober and turn her birth around so that she can care for her new daughter, Stephanie. Um, Her parents during this time completely take care of her. They set her up in an apartment. They pay her rent. They buy her furniture. It's a lovely environment. Peter, who is not back in yet, decides to stop by for a visit. And according to the reenactment and the reenactor, he is very impressed with her living situation and decides it's suddenly time for him to become a father, even though he denied that the baby was his to begin with. So also at this point, I paused... Still no wife, still no knife. We were like maybe 17, 20, almost 20 minutes in at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Peter is, pardon me, while I think. <laughs> I find it more effective to wait until I've finished talking to try <laughs> and take the, a drink of my tea. It's the Are you afraid it's going to get away from you? It's the at-home vibe of, uh, you know, recording remotely. I'm sorry, I at forgot least, myself it's, for a minute. It's the Marco Rubio school of refreshment. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Peter comes to visit. Uh, he decides to try being a father again. It goes as badly as it went the time before. Just like you might expect. Um, they're, but because they're both having a great time having sex, sleeping around the house, and doing a bunch of drugs. Um, she kicks him out. She decides to get sober again. Again, in her version of the story, she's saying, Peter was having me do so many drugs, I literally couldn't see my daughter. I couldn't see her on the floor, which is one of those things of like, I don't think Peter was making you do that. I think Nicole was, but okay. So she kicks him out. He's the problem. She's going to get sober. It doesn't really work out. Again, we're not getting intervals of time here on how long these periods of sobriety are lasting for Nicole. We just know that pretty soon after giving Peter the boot, she calls a drug dealer named Matt, whose number she got through a friend. He right. comes and over. And I wonder if the friend was, um, what was her name? Robottom? Oh, no, we need to talk about this friend. Yes, Cynthia Robottom. In no way depicted or discussed in the story. No idea how she's related to it. No real description. She's wearing somebody else's wig and her father's um, business blazer (laughs) from 1974. And she sounds like a human cigarette. She's had so many cigarettes. She's a keratin tenor, as we say. What was her name? Something Cynthia Robottom. Cynthia Robottom. How do you, that name, like really? Yeah. I think it was a name she picked just for the show. Yeah. But it's her real name is Cynthia Fake Name. Yes. 
fake name. She also doesn't seem to have any allegiance to anyone. I think she's described in the cryon as being Nicole's friend, but she says amazingly shitty and judgmental stuff about Nicole throughout the entire hour. And doesn't so appear it, anywhere in the story, so we don't uh, know. But maybe she gave her the number for Matt. Let's go with that. Maybe so. And Matt shows up and he is also played by a very handsome Marine actor. And so they have an instant love connection, which is defined as cocaine and having sex all day long. And um, the thing that Matt does do, allegedly, is that he treats Stephanie as his own. He really, truly acts like a father for her. He's a and good he does dad. this for like seven years, I think, Eric. Was that yeah. how long they said for it was? For quite some yeah. time. They did, yeah, she's like a, a young, she's like a... Uh, Early school, like third or fourth grade. So, uh, you know, the, the reenactments, we have Matt helping Stephanie ride a bicycle. And I will say in that moment, there's an there's a glimpse of the reenactors <laughs> hanging out together on a street. And I thought maybe that was Cynthia Robottom making an appearance in the reenactments because there's a very attractive dark haired woman just talking to Nicole. Anyway, this is clearly a preoccupation. Maybe. That, that yeah. But it, because you can't, because they don't account for her. They just pop her in to comment and don't ever say where the hell she's from. It, you, right. You could be forgiven. Um, after seven years of supposed bliss, which seems like a dramatic narrative condensation, Nicole's story. Uh, exactly. Uh, Nicole gets a phone call one night when she's allegedly waiting up for Matt and the call is from a man claiming to have caught Matt sleeping with his wife or girlfriend. I can't remember which. Matt shows up. Again, we're back in the reenactments. I was was with a client. She confronts him with the story and that's pretty much the end of their relationship. He goes to sleep on the couch, which is, you know, which in a reenactment means a relationship's about to end. Yeah. And so she spirals. He leaves. She's doing cocaine all day. She won't get out of bed. She won't take care of her daughter. And her mom is just wiping her backside, her mom. But, and we know this again through the reenactments, the mom shows up in a very telltale kerchief. Is that what you'd call it? Like a kerchief or a handkerchief? Yeah, her little babushka. And and Nicole has confessed to her that she is an addict. So she's actually helping her to sober up, to detox. But she says to her, Nicole, you're going to have to learn to do some things on your own for the first time ever because I have stage four liver cancer and I've got four months. So that is rough for Nicole. And um, and it really is sick. hard on the actress in the, playing her mother in the re-encrapment because the, the scarf is not flattering. No, it's not a flattering scarf at all. And not yeah. the most... Um, graceful depiction of a, of a cancer battle, if you will. No. Um, so the mom dies and Nicole uses it as an excuse to just completely go off the deep end. And this was one of those moments where I was like, wow, we really are living entirely in Nicole's version of this because she shows up at the father's house and is introduced to the new wife. And we're told that he met the woman. You like we're given Nicole's version of how this new marriage. Right. I think it's always worth remembering that everything we know we have learned from Nicole. And she said, how could, how dare, how could he do this? How could he get remarried to this much younger woman? And I was like, Nicole, you are really, given your parenting skills, like you are not in a position to be judging anyone, particularly not the parent who is a, instrumental and wiping your backside as you acted this way. I was, that was a moment where I was like, wow, girl. Wow. Um, You're going to get judgy about, about this now, especially 
to her sole source of support. Right. So um, she's cut off. And it's made to sound Big like evil's evil stepmother wanted to get Nicole cut off. But I, I, I heard, as you just like you just mentioned, like f- potential fight about his life choices. She got herself cut death. off. She yeah, yeah, she went after her father and his new wife and got herself cut off. I mean, literally, because it's apparently was harsh. Yeah. Um. So. Life gets bad. She and Stephanie are having to live on their own, and Nicole has absolutely no life skills because she's never developed any because she's mama's little princess and her mom has done everything for her. Uh, so she reaches out to Matt, who um, she's not spoken to since she gave him the boot for cheating on her. He is now sober, and he agrees to take Stephanie off her hands, which becomes the beginning of a narrative thread that they never accurately finish to my liking. They don't really wrap it up, but for for her entire sounds like her high school career until she drops out of high school, Stephanie Nicole's daughter lives with Matt and he acts as her father. Yeah, from the time she's like nine years old until she's 18, she lives with her father, who she could the, we actually see Stephanie. She's one of the narrators of this story, and she actually says that she considers him her father. She doesn't know anybody else because What's his name? Never comes back. And well, we're not also told. still no wives, still no knives, still no wives, still no knives. And at this point, we're closing in. We're getting near to the end of the episode. Yeah. So we're suddenly told that Stephanie has dropped out of high school and she's reunited with her mother and they're living together. And we're not told why. This is the narrative thread that wasn't tied up for me. We're not told why. We're not told what happened to Matt. Ever. We're not told who, who had a part in this at all. They're just back together even though Stephanie is kind of an adult now. But only so, briefly. Yeah. So Nicole is out looking for a new man. And they're living in someone's it. garage. And they don't the, say whose garage it is. They say it's, it's a friend's But it's two of garage. them in somebody's garage. Right. Um, and that is when, at a bar one night, Nicole meets a much younger guy named Freddie Miller. And he is recently out of car th- out of prison for car theft. He's trying to turn his life around, which maybe means, you know, driving the car in the opposite direction of the police after he steals it. Yeah, um, just a few red flags. Yeah, I mean, really. And he, she just says he's, he's the sweetest guy she's ever met. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Christopher and Eric is a production of the TDPS Network, which mm. you can support by visiting thedinnerpartyshow.com or www.tdps.tv. And by clicking on the gold Amazon box at the bottom right-hand corner of the home page, you'll ensure a portion of your subsequent Amazon purchases supports podcasts like this one. The same is true if you use any of the buy links on our website as well. And thedinnerpartyshow.com and tdps.tv is also where you can find all the episodes of our other podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is full of celebrity interviews and sketch comedy that's gotten us banned in 20 states. That's not true. A man can dream. All right. Well, let's dream of everyone supporting our website. That way we can avoid putting an ad in this spot for a crowdsourced skin surgery hour. And once again... 
And for the third time so far in this episode, in this show that we've been watching, she says he was the great love of her life. Peter <laughs> and Matt. And now what's this guy's name? Uh, Freddie. Freddie. Sorry, and I was rocking Freddy back from is, my microphone laughing at you. Now um, Freddie is the, they were all three, the great loves of her life. And I will say that Freddie is probably the most attractive reenactor in the entire piece. He's, he's you know, very well played. I'll just put it that way. And um, we actually meet the real Freddie. Um, un- unlike the rest of the story, Freddie actually shows up to speak for himself in a black background and um, all gray clothing. I-, I would say yes. And um, maybe not with what I would describe as anything close to charm. He was, Freddie is very unvarnished. He, while he does offer a different take than Nicole's, I wouldn't say it is a more sane, reasonable, or balanced one. <laughs> but it is every and bit as self, point. it is every bit as self-serving as Nicole's. Like, I don't believe either of them said anything no. that was anywhere close to being the truth. And, this is when you realize, given how deep we are into this hour of television, you're like, where's the murder mystery <laughs> you're like this is not right? a murder could mystery. somebody kill one of these people already my I god mean, jesus christ it is really um it is just like this deep dive on this domestic squabble and these awful choices anyway okay i don't mean to trash the whole program before we're through with the story because we're almost through with the story believe it or not yeah it's like being um, locked in the trailer with the, these people for the whole uh, and, show so Nicole says, when I love somebody, I just love them, which is code for I'm a completely obsessive addict who uses other people like I use vodka and cocaine. Um, so yeah. she is insanely jealous and paranoid of and she basically drives Freddie crazy. And Freddie uses that time honored logic of if you keep accusing me of cheating, I'm going to cheat. And so eventually he does. He goes out and he sleeps with four women in one night and he comes back and he tells her deliberately to hurt her and in his interview freddie admits that he did exactly that and those are the reasons he did it so their relationship is basically over and so freddie responds by not by moving into a different apartment in the same apartment complex because that's however how you move on. however worth noting she still seems to be living in the same garage she was living in before so i don't know when we moved into this apartment building uh, but it it you know, it doesn't look too great. One of the things that they did do was initially when they first got together, Freddie, who was a tremendous amount younger than her, he's like in his early twenties and she's in her late 30s. 12 years younger. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he was trying to clean up his act when they first got together. It was the truth. And so he was going to work and having a good time and she was, you know, staying home and watching porn and smoking crack. So she was not a particularly good and supportive influence. And eventually he gave in and went with her. So they were both already, you know, circling the drain by the time they broke up. Then he moves into another apartment in the same garage that she lives in. I, I don't know. It was very, it was <laughs> I think really she had odd. moved out of the garage at this point. They just hadn't made that clear. But you're Nobody right. Ever. They didn't and, mark the move. And it's, it's also worth noting that because they were living in a garage, when she first brought him home and was sleeping with him, the daughter, Stephanie, was actually in the room with them. And so she packs up her backpack or garbage bags or whatever uh, luggage she had and goes back to live with Matt. 
Uh, good for her. Good for her. I want to know why she left Matt to begin with. Do we know she went back to Matt or did she or go maybe she else? got her own apartment? Didn't she? It seems like they might have said that remember. she got her the own apartment. The whole Stephanie of it, they didn't cover well enough for me. But like, Stephanie I had dropped out of high school and was working at a clothing store. So she was self-supporting through her own contributions at this point. Yeah. And, and um, she hit the, tra- the bricks because uh, mom was not doing it for her. So here's my favorite part of the reenactment, oh aside God, from the just... fact that they had some good actors. So so they're because they're living in the same apartment complex, Nicole decides she's going to stalk and terrorize every new woman who goes to meet uh, Freddie in his apartment. Oh, and by the way, they're still sleeping together, but Freddie says he made it really clear he just wanted the sex and no strings attached and all this sorts, because that's another great choice. But so Nicole starts hiding in the bushes, literally outside of his apartment with oh, yeah. a baseball bat. With a so baseball when the new bat. women come out of his apartment, she steps out of the bushes with the baseball. And the reenactor actress does a good job of this. I must say, it's like, oh, what are you doing? Where are you going? You going to see Freddie? This is my baseball oh, yeah? bat. You want to see my baseball bat? <laughs> she was like, a ah! hard looking woman. And this was what she was born to play. She was born <laughs> to play this part. She was yeah. terrifying. Yeah, she was really terrifying and tough. So this situation escalates. We're now, I'm going to say at 37 minutes into the hour, still no wife, still no knife. Because I don't think anybody's married. I don't think she married anyone. She's never married anybody. Yeah. Um, So Nicole does her usual attack against a woman coming out of Freddie's apartment. But I think this woman is now his new official girlfriend. So Nicole is super pissed. April. April. Yes, she has a name. The new woman has a name. Her yes. name is April. The fight is bad. It it gets physical. It's right outside their building. They all break off in different directions. Nicole decides, you know, and the, she says this in an interview, I just decided I needed a drink. It was like, when did you not think you needed a drink, Nicole? You were in full-blown active addiction with no treatment. Totally. Um, so but She needed to she go dr- to a bar for a drink. So what she really needed to do was hook up with a different guy, maybe right. make him jealous. We don't know, but mm-hmm. that's my take on it. So she goes off. She goes to a bar. And this is where the story gets really fun. So Freddie has driven off in another direction. And he just happens to see her driving on the road. like, And he starts chasing her in his car, demanding right. that she pull over. She doesn't want to. I don't want to pull over. But she eventually does. And this is when we split into two different versions of the only reason they did this hour of television on these two terrible people. So in Nicole's version, right. Freddie gets out of his car, runs over to her window and repeatedly and violently punches her in the face, which they it's great. He grabs cast. her by the back of her blonde hair through the window of the car with one hand. And while holding her head in place begins repeatedly donkey punching her right between the eyes with a closed fist. It's brutal. It's brutal. And, um, Freddie says that didn't happen. Freddie says he went over to the car. He tried to engage her in conversation. After running her off the road, went right. over very calmly. This is the whole, he constantly presents himself as the voice of reason, how he was always calm and always reasonable. Because a calm, reasonable guy gets an apartment next door to his crazy ex-girlfriend and then proceeds to sleep with all the girls in the neighborhood. That's what a calm, reasonable guy does anyway. And then anyway. runs his girlfriend off the road. And so it, then he... And so here we get to the, we finally get there. It's not a knife. It's a corkscrew. Which she had on the seat beside her. Because 
you know, that's where you want to keep your your barware is in the car where you're not she allowed has, to drink at all. And, and oh my God, by the time we're done with this story, what the hell kind of corkscrew was this? It does so much damage to both of these people. She reaches over, she grabs the corkscrew and she begins repeatedly stabbing him in the crown of his head. And, um, and in the arm. And in the arm. And then when she withdraws the corkscrew and closes it, it cuts off her pinky, right? It practically detaches her pinky. It's like hanging by a thread. I don't know. Like, it was bad for the pinky. It was a seven-hour surgery. Yeah, it's a seven-hour surgery to reattach her finger. When she's in the hospital, the cops show up, and she tells them her side of the story, which is that Freddie started the physical assault by donkey punching her again and again and again. Allegedly, the cops completely believe her. They go and they arrest Freddie. Freddie is on probation still, so this is all very bad for him. Very bad. Uh, he denies and, that it happened, but but they offer him a plea deal. He's facing five years, but they offer him a plea deal of four months. He takes it. Nicole never does any time at all for anything that she did, including stabbing him repeatedly with a corkscrew. So not a knife, a corkscrew, and not his wife. Just say it. So it was ex-girlfriend with corkscrew. I guess that's not it. I guess they it don't doesn't have rhyme. Episodes. It seems like they would have more episodes of that story than wives with knives, to be frank. I, I don't know. Just call me nuts. But um, it do, it, you're right. It doesn't rhyme. And... Um, that that's kind of like the end of the road. And then we get to Nicole talking about her life experiences as if she's worked for, you know, doctors without borders or whole right? life. Most people wouldn't be able to survive what I went through. It's like, Nicole, you went through the death of a mother, which was very sad. And I understand that, but, but it, a lot but of everybody people dies. suffer the loss of a parent. And most of your pain was manufactured by yourself. Like I wanted, <laughs> by the end of this, like, I felt like they wanted to have it both ways, right? Well, like I'll they tell wanted... you. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm talking too much. I've had too much caffeine and Nicole makes me upset. <laughs> so I want you to take over and, the and, thing and that, give your take. The, the big surprise for me in the whole story, like Nicole was being filmed in like this sort of ill-fitted blue ruffledy thing in front of this completely amorphous sort of amber glow background. So I just assumed she was being interviewed from prison from the beginning <laughs> of the thing. The only big surprise, the only reveal in the whole thing is that, no, she was like, the the final, she was still wearing that same hideous blouse out walking her dog um, in her um, spring later heels or whatever she was wearing um, and talking, giving us advice on, on life and uh, how it should yeah. be lived from all of her vast experience. Mr. Um, I'm so cool and calm and collected that I ran my girlfriend off the road and got arrested for it. Uh, it's clearly after four months, he was probably already out of prison by the time that they filmed this. And so it was probably his gray shirt. Um, and, you know, maybe he just has a really dark part of his apartment that looks really black when you film it. But like mm -hmm. neither of them were in prison. Nobody was murdered. Nobody was even married. And uh, this woman was just making up this story. I mean, it's just like the people on people's court who yeah. know each other really well. And they just they agree to split the twenty five hundred dollars and they go right. on and act like there was some problem, but there really wasn't. I I was I kind of thought they did this for the money. It was a deal between the two of them to tell this bullshit story. 
Yeah, it was very Jerry Springer. It was just like, I, I really... I didn't believe and, and a word even, of it. Even of all the things that we've covered here on the podcast, like there's usually some attempt to talk about a larger political issue or a criminal issue. I, there's something. I mean, in most of the true crime specials, we've even when it's been sort of full of trashy reenactments, like the Brooke Astor story we talked about, there was the... There was inheritance law involved, and there were some heroes in the story. There were no heroes in the story. It was no. just two people making a series of terrible life choices because they didn't have a, a handle on their addiction or they weren't in any kind of meaningful treatment program or, or making any kind of life changes. And it was just like, I couldn't believe it. It's like, my God, this... And it wasn't like Red Rum, which we talked about on another episode, where it was a really shallow take on on a what was clearly a more complex and interesting crime, but they were jamming it into twenty five minutes. Right, this was like no. a full fifty minutes of like, oh my god, of almost nothing, like literally, yeah. like uh, had a bunch of money, was taking care of her parents, got cut off for being kind of a bitch and being a big drug addict, um, and. Uh, you know, later got into a big fight with her boyfriend and he spent four months in jail afterwards. Like, that's really yeah. the story. The teenage daughter apparently is back in recovery. She, um, by the time she turned 20, uh, turned out to be an addict as well since it was a big family tradition. Um, mm, that was rough. Uh, and, yeah, I didn't uh, like so, hearing but that. But she seemed yeah. to be, but she's like, she's somebody they're interviewing and she actually looked like she was in better shape than anybody else who was being interviewed. Although I mm -hmm. will say Freddie didn't look too bad. Mm -mm. No, but Freddie was angry. Freddie came with a lot of anger. I mean, and I don't know if it's like, though he, was he acted like character. he was Mr. Calm. Yeah, totally. He was like so reasonable and so whatever, but yeah, yeah. it was, um, we talk about this a lot. I know it's something that I jump up and down on a lot, but the producers of these shows decide who they're going to make the villains and who they're going to make the victims. And I really think there was a lot of making a victim out of a villain here, you know, with Nicole. It was really, I almost I, I feel like know. that they didn't, that the argument never got settled until after they had shot the show. Like, because nobody really comes off. She doesn't come off as any kind of victim to me. Yeah, she seemed like a pathological liar who was making up this self-serving story about how, you know, it had been so hard from her, but she'd risen above it all, despite all the terrible things that she did. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, mm -hmm. my God, during most of that story, she was raising a child, for God's sake, as a single mother. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was and we didn't <laughs> really have any person. We didn't really have any access to the dad's reaction to her addiction. Like, that's what I thought was the most suspicious part. Dad is a taskmaster. He doesn't like that mom's indulging me, but um, we're not um, we're not going into what was he doing or trying to do or being thwarted from doing while she was spiraling out of control, getting pregnant, all this sort of stuff. Anyway, I, I, I don't want to always sound like I'm sympathizing with the dude because that's not what it's about. But I think there are always voices in these stories that don't necessarily get their shot at the table. And do you so, always sound like that? Is that how you, always I don't sound? know. I feel like I always sound that way. We had in our discussion of tiger King, I think we were sort of taking up on some level for, 
for Joe Exotic. No, just no, no, you know. no. If there, <laughs> if there was any uncertainty about that, let me clear that up now. No, nothing <laughs> that, that Joe Exotic did or believes in is anything that we advocate or believe in or sticking up for. Not one yeah. single thing. I, like, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's probably nice to pet baby tigers and be kind to them, and that's it. That's the link. Right. Everything else he did was the wrong thing, and we're not yeah. supporting. We but did. She, we, yeah. But she was a bully and a monster and no victim either. And and I feel and that was, she would be Carol Baskin, who is uh, you know now most of America believes killed her husband before destroying George. Yeah, Alex she too. obviously did. Yes, absolutely. But I really the thing I'm honestly more afraid of is I feel like Tiger King could creep into every episode of this podcast we do for the rest of our lives. But maybe that's just the moment we're currently living in as we record this because Tiger King is all anybody is talking about. Anywhere because in the nothing country. else is actually happening in the world. <laughs> nothing else is because we're all home trying to avoid the Because it's closed. <laughs> the world actually closed on my birthday. Yes, it sure did it. That was right. March 16th was March your birthday. March 16th that is was my birthday and the world closed. It was like, yeah. wait a minute. Actually, I didn't have any plans. We were going well, to have a birthday dinner the weekend before and we ended up canceling because it just seemed not responsible and i'm really glad we ended up doing that but i am glad we did too but it accelerated really quickly because we were not being told to stay home yet it was like there was this patchwork of directives in different parts of the country but here in california nobody had said you need to stay home and so we thought it was like left up to every individual i had been in restaurants that week eating lunch you know like and for your birthday one by one one by one we had people saying you know I don't really feel comfortable going. And then by, I think, two days later, restaurants were closed in Los Angeles. The city of yeah, Los Angeles. It's really, it's really closed. only deliveries and whatever. But yeah. So and on the plus side, you know, millions of people all over the world sing happy birthday twice, albeit when they're washing their hands. So that's right. So I that's got right. that. That was that that's was right. the perk. That was the upside, knowing everybody was singing happy birthday if you don't know what we're talking about, that is because some people say that singing happy birthday twice lasts 20 seconds, which is the amount they are currently recommending we run our hands under the water after soaping them up. But we're not going to talk about the coronavirus. We said this podcast nope. was not going to be about the coronavirus. But we are designing these episodes to live forever. You should do that even if there is no coronavirus. So washing your hands is always a good idea. Always a good idea. So on our next episode, <laughs> so we have a couple things. So that's it for that princess. <laughs> that's it for that mamas i don't know if we're going to be back to an episode of wives with knives soon or maybe we'll do some more investigative work and make sure there's actually an interesting we won't. story <laughs> we won't we, we won't we pick based on really salacious write-ups good titles yeah. and what day that the um the uh the, the podcast is actually going to air yes absolutely and uh we thought with everybody currently home with their families that people might like to <laughs> talk about <laughs> lashing out in ways that they can't necessarily. But on our next episode, it's not going to be an installment of True Crime TV Club. We're doing one week on, one week off. We um, had some uh, questions that we asked you on our Facebook page, and you had some wonderful answers. We're going to address those. But we also thought, since we work from home all the time, we could be able to share some helpful tips for you about how to stay sane when you're doing that. And those are tips that you can use whether or not you're under a shelter at home order or not. 
You, um, they're about we're not most of the time, and it's not a new development in our lives. Exactly, they're about being productive when nobody is looking over your shoulder. Except maybe you're going to talk to a friend like I talked to Eric at the end of the day, and you're going to have to cop to it if you spent the whole time ordering donuts and looking at dirty pictures on the interwebs. That's really good. Or you're going to have to have a really good story. Absolutely. But until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.